It's good just like that. Appreciate it. I like your shoes. Now, um, let me start with this question. Do you pray as often as you would like? Now, for most of us, we're like, oh, you know, I pray, but I wish I prayed more. You know, like, like we, a, a New Year's resolution for many people is, you know, I really need to start praying. I really need to get up in the morning and have that devotional time, have that prayer time. Uh, you know, I wish I prayed more consistently. Now, but everybody prays some, right? I mean, everybody prays some. It doesn't even matter if you go to church or you don't go to church, if you believe in God or if you don't. People, everybody prays. It just takes the right situation, right? Now, last week you had uh, chaplain Captain James Drake telling a story of walking through the woods and God leading him to a place that he needed to pray because he was desperate, right? Today, I'm Lieutenant Chaplain Jeff Sullivan. I'll step down from Captain. And I was with the Army this past weekend while he was doing that. I'm uh, attached to a medical detachment called the, the 326. And so I'm in the Army Reserves, and one other thing about the Army Reserves is that you spend all year without a gun because you have regular jobs. We have a medical detachment, so it's psychiatrists and social workers and nurse practitioners and people with just regular jobs. But then one weekend a month, you get dressed up and you train to be a soldier, but then one time a year, they actually put a gun in your hand because the rest of the time, you don't. You just do regular training, especially here in Miami. Where are you gonna shoot, right? So last weekend, we all go up into the middle of the woods up in North Florida, something called Camp Blanding, where they have giant firing ranges, and they have to qualify for their targets, okay? And so this is very stressful. If, if they're not handling an M4 every day, then they get that gun in their hands, and they have to make, take 40 shots on the range, and they have to hit a certain number to qualify for their thing. So they get nervous, well, the nice thing about being a chaplain is I don't have to do that part. So I sit in the ammo booth, putting their rounds into their magazines and setting their magazines up and blessing their bullets for them. And they come, they're like, chaplain, pray for me. You know, the ones who shoot good, they just go and they're excited. They're like, yes, we finally get to use the guns today. The ones who don't, they're like, chaplain, could you pray for me? Chaplain, could you pray for me? So I'm praying for lucky shots and no rain and good vision and stuff like that. You know, they bring me their things and they're like, all right, sergeant, I pray that you get all your shots today. Because when something gets beyond our ability, then we pray, right? I remember a while back, there was like a, a big cultural conflict of having prayer in schools. You know, like, can you have prayer in schools or is that a mixing church and state? And then there was a statement that came out of that was, as long as you have tests in schools, you're gonna have prayer in schools. Because if you're a student and you didn't study and that paper hits your desk, what do you do? Oh God, help me, right? You're going to pray anytime something is beyond your control. You pray. It's an instinct like a kid cries for mom. We cry out to someone else. We cry out to God for someone whenever it goes beyond us. Think about it. That's on an individual level. Even look, giant corporations and news media outlets that have no like theological connection or spiritual grounding. What happens when there's a tragedy? They're like, pray for the people of Turkey and Syria. Right? They know that if something beyond our control happens, you have to pray. If something tragic happens, they say, let's have a moment of silence so people could pray. But that's not built into their business model of how they function and what they believe and what they talk about. 
But everybody knows when it's desperate, it's time to pray, right? Because it's built into us. In this series that we're going to be going over six weeks, we're going to talk about moving from just the praying when it's desperate to the place that we're praying in a consistent way that's drawing us in a relationship with God. Because prayer is a journey and that relationship is constantly growing. And where instinctively we will pray when things are at their worst, we want to grow to the place that we're praying continuously. And in fact, the, the verses that we're going to read today are going to begin with this formula that we're going to work out together. So if I could ask you, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. All right? We're going to start there. We're going to, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. And then we're going to jump to two other places in the Bible, all right? So if you use your, your phone app or if you, you pull out a Bible or if you use one in the pew, that's all great. So Luke chapter 18, I love that the first line tells us what the point of the story is. That way we don't have to wonder, like, what should we be thinking about or what should we be talking about? Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says this. And he told them a parable to this effect, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's the point of the message today, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Pray and don't give up. Pray and don't quit praying. In fact, in these three stories, we're going to see a formula of desperation, then persistence, and then deliverance. So you're going to see desperation, persistence, and then deliverance. And so in Luke 18, he says, the very next verse, he says this, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So Jesus tells a story, and there's only two characters in the story. The first one, he says, here's a judge. And look how he describes him. He doesn't care about God or man. This is a selfish person. A judge that only cares about himself. And so his rulings and his actions are just done by what he wants, and he has no concern for others. Arrogance. Now the second person, here we have says, and there was a widow, a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, a widow is completely helpless in this society. Okay, she has no resources of her own. Her husband's passed away, so she doesn't have anyone who could defend her or protect her. And so, so someone's taking advantage of her. She says, there's this injustice. It doesn't describe what it is because that's not the point of the story. But we realize that here we have someone who has no resources or recourses of solution on their own. She's desperate. There's nothing she could do to save herself or to help her own situation. And in fact, as a widow, as a woman standing before this judge, she has no lawyer, no advocate, no chance of getting what? She has no influence or leverage to try to get justice for herself. And she doesn't have anyone who's going to come and save her. And so what does she do? It says day after day, she comes, and she asks the same question over and over. This woman is the picture of desperation. Have you ever been in a place where you were desperate? We all have, right? We could all look at some point in the life of the past where we felt like this woman, that we didn't have power to get the outcome that we want, that we didn't have a way to solve the problem, and it just looked hopeless ahead of us. 
There's a saying that, that it goes, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? There are no atheists in foxholes. That statement is that when something gets really bad, all of a sudden people now believe in God, right? A foxhole is a place to hide in a battle zone. It's a way for you to go and to cover because you're fearing for your life. You feel that this is the end. And so what happens when you get covered and you say, God help me, God save me, God solve this, God protect me, God give me, God help. Because then we lose that atheism and now we grab to a father. We might not have been obedient three days before, but when that tragedy hits, we call out. Because instinctively we know that God is there. I want you to think, when was there a time that you were desperate? You know, when you're broke, you pray for money, right? When your relationship is falling apart, you pray for God to step in and bring forgiveness or bring a change. When your children start going the wrong direction, you start praying, God, do something in their heart. I can't do it. I've said all I can say. I've done all I can do. God, help them. When you get a, a medical report, you say, God, heal me. I can't do it myself. When anytime something gets beyond the reach of my hand and my control, now I pray. Now I'm desperate. And that desperation brings this passion in me to now seek God because I know God can do something that I can't do, that he can go farther than that. And so we naturally turn to him. When you hit rock bottom, the only place to look is up. And so when you feel it's beyond your control, you begin to pray. Now, desperation has to turn into persistence when there's faith. Desperation has to turn into persistence when their faith. Because think about it. Here this widow was in a place that she no longer had any control and couldn't create the outcome. And she had to go to a man who was arrogant and corrupt and selfish and ask him. Had she quit the first time, she would have never got justice. Had she quit the third time, she would have never got justice. But she had to have the faith in her desperation to continue to go day after day after day after day. And she kept going and she kept going. And then it comes to this point in the story. It says, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect any man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual she nagged him to death. And she finally got justice. She kept over and over and over and over. And he's like, look, I just wanted you. How many of you have kids? You know what persistence is, right? Can we go to McDonald's? No. 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 Can we go to McDonald's? Yes, let's go. Let's, you know, let's uh, do whatever it takes to stop this. That's what we're going to do, right? Because eventually, kids all know your parents will wear down if you just keep asking because the resolve for it is now. It's like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. I just want it to stop. And that's what the judge says. That's what he's like. Look, I don't care about this woman. I don't care about her injustice or problems. I just want her to leave me alone, so I am going to go ahead and make it stop. And so desperation moves to persistence, and the persistence shows the faith of continuing to go over and over and over. Now, I want to take a little side route from here to see if you agree with this statement. 
We pray for comfort and ease, but comfort and ease are the very things that keep us from prayer. All right, think about that. Our prayers are for comfort and ease, right? Uh, Lord, provide for me. So it's like, it's money, it's shelter, it's things. God, heal me so I'll feel better and I won't feel pain. God, solve the problem so I won't feel these things. So we pray for God to bring all these solutions into our life so that our life is comfortable, that it's easier, that it's better. And then once we receive the comfort, the ease, the better, the blessings, we're not desperate anymore. I don't need to pray anymore. I stop praying. And so now what I've created by that is this cycle of walking away from God until something terrible, and then God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, did, and now I walk away again because I'm not desperate anymore, and there's just a cycle of leaving and coming. God wants to move us away from that, that immature faith into something that is a, a longstanding commitment that even when he's blessing us, we know who to go to in the good as well as the bad. Now, this story from Luke 18, Jesus says this. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And would not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So there was desperation, and then the widow's persistence and then there was deliverance. And in this story, Jesus purposefully contrasts here. He makes the judge an evil judge. Not a hero in the story. We're meant to dislike him. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. He doesn't care about this woman. But he still delivers. And then he goes, how much better do you think God is? I mean, God is loving and caring. And God is just and holy. Don't you think he will do better than this evil judge for your life? You know, Jesus used that same uh, method in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about praying. It says, how many of you would a son go and ask his father for bread and the father would give him a stone? Or how many would the son go ask father for a fish and he would give him a snake? He says, that doesn't make sense, right? So if an earthly father knows how to give gifts to his children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to you? He uses that same analogy to where he reminds us of the wonderfulness of God and says, look, we're able to depend on people on earth and expect for them to give us justice and for them to do that. Shouldn't we have much greater faith in what God would do for us? than we do in our own earthly relationships. And so he's drawing this out of us so that our faith would increase in what God can do. In fact, he ends with that very final line. It says, will he find faith on earth? You see, because faith is the ingredients to that persistence. What enables you to continue to go again and again and again? And again, you have to believe that there is something in the outcome, that there is something that can come from this. Now, I want you to know that there's a difference in not even faith and even now faith. All right, there's two types of faith, a not even faith and an even now faith. And we're going to jump into two other examples of very powerful prayers in the Bible 
One shows us the not even, and one shows us the even now. So Matthew chapter 26. So if you're using your Bible, jump to Matthew 26, verse 36. While you go there, let me set the backstory for that spot. Because verse 36, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, on that night, that's the night that Jesus was betrayed. That's the night of the Last Supper. So when we do communion, the communion patterns what that night was like. When Jesus was with all his disciples and they celebrated Passover, and that Passover has four glasses of wine that symbolize things. And it was that night that Judas was there, and, and Jesus and Judas had kind of like this really secret conversation where Jesus says, like, go do what you were going to do. And no one else understood what was going on, and Judas leaves the room knowing he's going to come back betraying Jesus. But in that gap of time, the meal finishes, and Jesus gets up with the disciples, and he walks into the Mount of Olives to a garden. And that's where we pick up here. So Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. These kind of verses really just, uh, I guess, confuse me. It's hard to really understand the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus at the same time, right? Because we know, look, Jesus came to die on the cross. He knew he was going to die on the cross. And Jesus knew he was going to raise again and that he would be the one that all people would worship, and that he would be at the throne of God. Like, he knew these things, yet in this process of going to the cross and facing the judgment of God, he still has these emotions of sorrowful, troubled, sorrowful to death. Like, that's, that's so confusing to grasp, isn't it? But it helps us understand how Jesus understands our emotions in, in during the time that you're going through them. You know, sometimes it's easy to just say, hey, you know what, have faith in the end. But that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt during the time. And so Jesus, even knowing he would raise and be there, is in pain at this moment, facing what he's going to go through. He says, my soul sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. It says, he went a little further. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in Jesus, we see desperation, right? Another passage in Luke says he's sweating drops of blood. Like it's just an anguish time. Desperation. It says, then he came, after an hour, he came back and he found his disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not even watch with me one hour? They're asleep. Jesus is in desperation. He's in anguish, praying from the depths of his heart. And his disciples are asleep. Now, I don't blame him because I would have been too, right? You just had this great dinner, four glasses of wine. Now, let's go into the garden in the middle of the night. Sit down and close your eyes. What do you think is going to happen, right? It's like, you know, because they don't see the cross coming. They don't know. They don't see the judgment of God coming. They don't know. There's no desperation in their heart. To them, this was a great night. We had dinner with Jesus. We had a great time. And here we are in this garden, and tomorrow we'll wake up and have a good day. They don't know what's facing them. And so, so they have this not even faith, this faith that just does nothing, and they fall asleep. And the very next thing that happens, Jesus, verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That statement, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. A lot of people say that and don't even realize it's a Bible verse, right? You'll hear that outside of church. You'll hear that in other people. Hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what God said to them knowing that in our spirit, we want to pray more, you know? We make commitments, like you'll hear a sermon, you'll be like, yeah, I should pray more. Or you'll face something, you know, I should be praying more. But then what happens, right? Monday comes, and you go to work, and you forget about it. You're like, I'm going to get up at 5, and I'm going to pray before my day starts. And then you hit the snooze button, and you go back to sleep, and you forgot. Because the Spirit's willing, we know we ought to. But the flesh is weak. And then when we go to make that commitment, we have a hard time doing it. And so God is saying, look, I'm going to draw you past that. And so he goes again. Verse 42, again, for the second time he went away and prayed. says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This is persistence. One hour. Now a second hour. Again, he came, he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away and prayed a third time. A third hour praying in the middle of the night. Persistence desperation, persistence. And he came, finally, he came to his disciples and he says, go ahead and sleep. Take your rest. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. Rise, let's be going. The betrayer is here. Look at that contrast of this, this not even faith that the disciples have, not knowing what there is. And then the desperation and the persistence of Jesus in this moment. Now, I want to show you another example where the people do it well. Because I think we could relate to that bad example of wanting to pray more and then being unable and falling short. But John chapter 11 gives a beautiful story of someone who had this even now faith that she prayed even in the hard times. While you're turning to John 11, let me give you the backstory because the entire chapter is amazing. It's a beautiful chapter. Uh, but we're going to jump in not until verse 20. So leading up to that, what happens is Jesus had a really good friend named Lazarus. In fact, it says Lazarus, Jesus loved Lazarus. So it's not just someone he knows. It's like a best friend, like someone he grew up with, someone he cared about. And Lazarus had a brother and a, uh, two sisters, sorry, Mary and Martha. And so Mary and Martha were also great friends of Jesus. In fact, Mary was one that had anointed his feet and clean his feet with her hair. She was someone who had a beautiful dedication of worship to Jesus. And there's another time in the Bible where Jesus went to their house and they threw a party and Martha did all the work. She was the hostess and she did all the cooking and the cleaning and the prepping and everything. Okay? And so Jesus really knew them and really loved them. Lazarus got really sick. And they sent word to Jesus to come heal him. But he didn't come. He didn't come for days, and Lazarus dies. Now, think about that for a moment. Being best friends with Jesus. You tell him, Lazarus is about to die, can you come heal him? You know he can heal him, and he doesn't come. Man, that would make you angry, wouldn't it? Maybe you've actually felt like you were in that spot, where you're like, why did Jesus allow this to happen to me? It doesn't seem fair that Jesus would allow suffering 
in someone's life that he knows and that he loves and that he cares about. That's exactly what happened. Now, Jesus is with his disciples during those first 20 verses you should read through there. And he's actually telling his disciples about it. Because they're like, why aren't we going to this? And he goes, look, I have actually a bigger plan. He's going to die. And they're like, he's going to sleep. And they're like, oh, yeah, like sleep? Like don't wake him up, sleep? And I was like, he's going to die. And I'm going to raise him. And they're like, what? He says, I'm doing this because I want to show you guys something. Now, that sounds good if you're the disciples with Jesus because you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. He's going to raise him from the dead. That's not good if you're Mary because you're like, Jesus didn't come and answer my prayer and my brother died and I'm at my brother's funeral right now and Jesus is coming. So just think about, that's the dynamic you live with, isn't it? Sometimes you see the prayer answered, and you're like, oh, thank God. What happens when you don't? And you have to suffer through something. And you're like, but I prayed for it not to happen. Mary's in that spot. Now, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Look at Martha's faith. That's unbelievable, isn't it? To me, that's amazing that at her own brother's funeral, she could see Jesus coming and say, but even now, I know that you could do something. She doesn't believe it's too late. She believes that God has something, even in the suffering she's enduring, that God has something good for her. That is amazing faith. That's that next level. That's not not even faith like the sleeping disciples. That's an even now faith where you know that even now God can do something no matter what it feels like, no matter what it seems like. In fact, she says, I know that you can do, that God will give you whatever you ask. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. This is verse 23. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so she is relying on her faith in the eternal life. She's looking at that. Look, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And if I truly believe that, I know that there's eternal life. and I will be with my brother again. And she's able to stand on that faith and knowing that and Jesus says to her I'm the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die this very foundation that the reason we're gathered in this room together is because we believe that Jesus Christ is the God and Savior that he did die on the cross and he did raise again and because he rose again we have eternal life. Now, the idea of eternal life is not something we think about because we have our life, life right now. And we don't really think about the day that we would die until there's a death, right? And so we don't get to enjoy the faith that comes from understanding that God is so good that he has already prepared for us the greatest thing for us, and that is eternal life with him forever. That he's already given us the greatest gift he could give up front, and so gifts that come in between now and then are great, but they're gravy and they're extra and they're just according to his will because either way it turns out, God has already given you eternal life. 
And so Martha can have this even now faith because she could say, look, no matter what has happened, I know that God has given me the eternal life. And her faith in Jesus was able to bear her through the suffering that was going on. And she could stand with that even now faith and say, I know whatever you ask will be done. Do you know that same even now faith is for you? Jesus has died for you and has provided for you eternal life. And that life has begun already. And his riches and his love and his peace and his grace is already yours to live in this life. And then that eternal gift that comes after this life ends has already been purchased for you there. Paul described it like this in the New Testament when he said, look, the sufferings of this world are temporary and they pale in comparison to the gifts of eternity. And he was ready and willing to face that. That's an even now faith that says what is the future is better than what I'm experiencing in the present. And so Martha was able to grasp that and have this conversation and Jesus said, look, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This beautiful statement of faith. This is the even now faith that Jesus can handle any problem you face. He can save any person that you care about. He can solve any problem. He can provide for any need. He can turn any sinner into a saint. He can turn any victim into an overcomer. He could do anything. And your faith in him to make a king out of a slave, to bring joy out of sorrow, that is what brings us through those times of suffering and darkness. That is how you can persistently pray when you're desperate to pray again and again and again and again because God can deliver. Jesus said, they ought always to pray and not to quit. I remember praying for our son to be healed when he was five months old, having heart surgery. And even now, he's a perfectly healthy young man. I can remember praying when our house was going to get foreclosed on that God would provide for us to be able to maintain our house and keep going. And even now, God provided for that home and we were able to continue moving forward. I can remember praying for a job and that even though all the doors were closing, that even now God put me in the right place that he had for me at the time that he needed to. I can remember praying when our marriage was dark and difficult and we couldn't figure a way through. And even now, God has brought us through to a place of unity and joy of where he's going. I can remember a time when I had a herniated disc three months ago, and even now, God has healed it, and I feel pain-free and able to do whatever it is that I need to do in life. I can remember a time when the Granada Day School was shut down and closed because of a pandemic, and even now, it's at full capacity and growing and doing better than it's ever done before, right? I can remember when we couldn't meet in this room because there was this giant pandemic that was going to end the world and the economy was going to crash to the ground and no one knew what is the future of this world. But even now, God has provided for this church to actually be stronger than it was in that day and to be growing and building and advancing the kingdom and moving forward. 
That's what even now faith is about. And every one of you has a dozen of those stories where you can look and you can remember when it was desperate and it was dark and you persisted and you prayed. And even now, God has delivered you from it. And so now, whatever situation you're in, keep praying and do not quit because God is faithful to do that. We're desperate because life is more than you can handle. It's okay to admit that. We need to be persistent because we can have even now faith trusting in a God that can do anything. And then there is deliverance because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to teach us these things. And I pray for anyone here who is in that dark moment. And right now it feels like Mary felt sitting in her house saying, why didn't Jesus come when my brother was sick? That's not fair. We loved him. And there's someone now who feels that exact same way. They prayed and, and you weren't there when they needed it. God, I pray that you might lift them up now to have that even now faith that Martha had to know that you have delivered them in many ways and you're gonna deliver them. It's still coming. God, I pray that everyone here would understand what eternal life means for them, that they would believe that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them, that all the sin of their life has been forgiven because of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that because he rose again, we have eternal life. And we struggle and we fight in this world for what, what we desire, but in the end, God, you have already won the victory, and our life is eternal in you. So let that embolden us in prayer that we would not lose heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, God. Hello. I'm so grateful for uh, for this truth we've heard.